It's lovely to see you all this morning. Lovely to see some faces I've not. Thank you, Leon. Lovely to see some faces I've not seen in a while and some I don't quite recognise, which is beautiful. Lovely to have you with us. I've been talking since the beginning of the year about what I call the spirit of sonship. And it's important because really it's the term that I use anyway to describe a biblical model for healthy relationships, healthy discipleship, and actually satisfying a meaningful, well, life, not just church life, but life, actually. Um, And uh, is that important? And I've talked about how God chooses to relate as a father and a son, and how he is by nature father and a son, but that that doesn't mean that one is inferior and one is... (coughs) What's the opposite of inferior? Yeah, soup. Thank you. The Italian corrects my English. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, <laughs> irony was not lost on me. <laughs> one is not uh, superior, one's not inferior. They are co equal, power and glory, eternally equal in every way. But they choose to have these different roles and functions. But they are equal. There's no hierarchy, there is a relationship. It's a relationship of equals to serve each other in particular ways. And we don't really seem to get that in the world, that you can serve one another differently but be equal. It seems to me that everywhere else, if you serve somebody differently, somebody's got to be higher and somebody's got to be lower, somebody's got to be over and somebody's got to be under. But actually, biblically, as I see it, they are equal, they just choose to serve one another in different ways. And that's really important because that model between the Father and Jesus is a model for how we are meant to relate to one another. And it's important that we know in that relating, we are all equal before God but we serve each other in different ways. Because sonship is learning to operate in healthy biblical relationships with God and with one another. And John 5 and verse 19, Jesus says this, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. And if you're going to learn anything about sonship, that's the the starting point and the end goal. Because Jesus effectively went, first of all, there can be no sonship without a relationship with the Father. And there can be no sonship without a deep humility and submission to the Father. True sonship is only fully possible in its entirety when you understand you can do nothing by yourself. And you give yourself to only doing what you see the Father do. And it's a starting point, but it's also the end goal. But really, that's that's what it is to walk as a son. You understand you can do nothing by yourself. And yet you've been given many things to do things with. And you give yourself to only doing what you see the Father do in the ways the Father does it when the Father does it. And last time I talked about honour and and how honour flows between them, but that honour looks different. And we saw how uh, honour is the giving of wealth are adding value to somebody. If you add value to someone, you enrich them. So we said this, that to honour someone is to enrich someone, to make them better off than before your transaction. It means to make them better off, whether that be financially, which is the the lowest and least form of honour you can give somebody, or emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. To honour means to leave somebody better off. To dishonour means to leave somebody worse off. Which is why... The Bible talks about honouring so much and why you see this idea of honouring one another coming through the New Testament. Because if you live in relationships in a community where each time you interact you are left better off, it will be a wonderful place to be. 
But if you live in communities where you are continually left worse off, that's not a great place to be. It's not very complex in that sense. And this morning, I want to keep looking at this relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, And it's interesting, the lengths the Bible goes to to make it clear that God is in a relationship. Even the first four words, in the beginning, God, tells you that God is in a relationship because that word word God in the original Hebrew is the word Elohim, which means gods, rulers, kings, princes, but it's all plural. In other words, in the beginning, gods, an expression of gods, multiple people, multiple persons were there. Of course, as God, but he expresses himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So right at the beginning, this book opens and goes, this is about community, it's about relationships, it's about family, it's about togetherness. It's not about you being on your own or anybody being on their own. And John, in chapter 1, writes the same. He says, in the beginning was the Word, which is his name for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God and was God. In other words, there's these all expressions of God. But they exist in relationship. We could say this. God dwells in relationship and does nothing outside of it. Oh, he could if my phone would work. There we go. God dwells in relationship and does nothing outside of it. In other words, he literally lives in relationship. And as we see, you can't do anything outside of it. He's not good for man to be alone. So God dwells in relationship and does nothing outside of it. He creates man and then goes, oh yeah, but you can't be on your own. I want you to be with somebody. There's this whole theme going, it's about being together. And and the reason I want to look at this relationship between Jesus and the Father is because it's the most perfect relationship there ever was. And it's the original relationship and the perfect relationship. And, And that relationship for me is a model of what it means to relate as a father and as a son. So, Let's go to Hebrews and chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3 and verse 9. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided just purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And then verse 9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So, first of all it says this, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom we appointed heir of all things. And then it talks about how he created the universe. Now there was no need for the Father to do that. The father could have done it all by himself. It's not as though the father couldn't do it by himself. He was more than capable of doing everything by himself in terms of creation. But instead he went, no, I want to show you what it means to be together and work together. So I am going to nominate somebody else and they're going to do it on my behalf. And so the son, it says, gives life to it. And it says, what are the exact words? The son, by whom he also made the universe. And so the world's and the speaking lot of son's idea, the father had the vision and the son carried it out. So right back there at the very beginning of time, you see there's trust, there's teamwork, there's shared responsibility, there's work and service by all. And once again, you see this thing, there's no difference between the father and the son in the sense of their equality. Jesus is the exact representation of the father. In one version it says he's the express image 
And it literally means like an engraving stamp that every single time you would get exactly the same thing. They are exactly the same. (coughs) Within that relationship, they are equals. No one was the big boss. No one told the other one what to do. No one shouted at the other one. No one yelled at the other one. Nobody had a go at the other one. Nobody went, no one stuck two fingers up to the other one. That didn't happen. They seem very happy being equal and yet playing different parts. And one of the keys to this relationship is verse 9, where we learn that Jesus hated wickedness. That is the word anomia, and it has its roots in the idea of being independent. So you could say that Jesus loved righteousness, which is being right with God, and hated independence. Well, now you know why you lived like you lived. Because he hated being independent. He hated doing his own thing. He hated being on his own. He loved being dependent on the Father. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't find it natural to love being dependent on everybody else. I like to be independent. I like to have my own mind. I like to do my own things. I like to do things my way. And sometimes I'll argue for years that my way is the right way, even though it's clearly the wrong way. Just me then, okay. (laughs) Took me about seven years to trust that Faye's way of making rice was the right way. (laughs) Just because I'm an idiot, but... You don't need to do the action with your hands. It's fine. I already know. We've been through that one. <coughs> but we are all like that, aren't we? We all like to think we know the best way. We all like to think, despite often vast evidence to the contrary, that we're still right. <laughs> because somehow independence is like built in us. And of course, independence is the number one reason why we don't experience true relationship. Independence, me, myself, and I, is the very opposite of relationship. And I understand, I understand there's all sorts of reasons why we get to that place. Sometimes it's because we've been hurt so much, we decide that there's only me can look after me. So I, un- I understand that, but it doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes we go, well, nobody else has looked after me, so I'm just going to have to look after me, and I'm not going to share anything with anybody, because when I do that, I just get hurt. I get that. I understand that. But, but Jesus hated independence. He hated being independent. He hated sorting it all out for himself. Sadly, much of the world is built on independence. I mean, I feel sorry for Isaac in America because they celebrate it. They literally celebrate independence. I think Jesus cries that day because he hated it. But they celebrate it. It's sad really, isn't it? But actually, if we're going to have hearts that are going to flow in real relationship... We have to learn to hear independence. And that, that, of course, that's a whole other ball game about the levels to which we are dependent and all that sort of stuff. But, but for now, let's just worry about this idea that Jesus hated independence. And you can read it, John chapter 12 and John chapter 14. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. You know what? Most people, if I gave them an instruction to go, go to this person and say this, they wouldn't even manage to say those exact words exactly as I told them. They wouldn't. Most, most people would not manage to do that. They'd go, oh yeah, but I just need to say this, and I just need to do it this, and I need to add this on the beginning, I need to add this on the end. But Jesus, it says, and that's a simple thing of just repeating a phrase to another person. Most of us would want to make it our own. Oh, how can I make it my own? How can I, how can I improve it? How can I add my slant on it? But listen to what Jesus says. The Father sent me, gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. 
Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? His submission is incredible. His ability to go, okay, Dad, you, you know best. Even though I'm equal with you, and even though I used to be in heaven with you, you know best, and I'm just going to do literally whatever you say I'm going to say it. Even when it got him in a ton of trouble and got him killed, he just kept doing it. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. He just, it's not even my work. I'm just here, it's his work. And, and you can read more particularly in John this idea of how Jesus was obedient and submitted to the Father's authority. There was never a moment when the Father spoke and Jesus challenged him. I thought there was a better way, I questioned him. Only once do you read where he goes, Father, not my will but yours. And you see him going, that's a big one, Father. But he goes, and maybe in his mind he had a little bit, but eventually he goes, not my will but yours. And carries through with it, which is when he's about to suffer like we will never know. That the idea of Jesus being independent of the Father was completely alien. How could he be independent when he knew he was in the Father and the Father was in him? You can't be independent when you know one's in you and you're in the other. But I want to explore some, some more other ways Jesus related by looking at Philippians chapter 5. He says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is, this is letting you into some secrets of how Jesus thought. This is his mindset. How did Jesus think? What was his mindset? Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, there we see again, verse 6, being in the form of God. In other words, he was like God in the beginning before the creation. I've said it a couple of times already. They were one and the same. Same abilities, privileges, majesty, honor, glory, just the same. Jesus knew he was equal with the Father, but he did not have an issue about his equality with the Father. And one of the things that we have to bottom out if we're to experience and live in true relationship is that before God, we are all equal. We are all the same. We've got to bottom it out. We've got to stop putting people respect on pedestals and believing they're better than us. And we've got to stop pulling people down that we're jealous of. We've got to believe that we are all the same. No matter our background, no matter our journey, no matter our story, no matter our education or our finance or where we live or, or any of those things, it really is irrelevant before God, you are all equal. I said it before, Jesus does not have any favourite children. He just doesn't. And yet as kids, we are, all my four kids are convinced that one of the others is my favourite. All of them are utterly convinced it's one of the others that said, yeah, no, you're not Joshua. I love you all the same. But they, are, they, are, they have times when they go, I'm your favourite, ah, Dad. And I go, no, I love you all the same. Ah, that's because the so-and-so's your favourite. No, I don't, I'm a favourite. You're all different. And I love you all the same. But that's just like the Father. 
You're all me for, you, I love you all the same. You all bring me different challenges. Sometimes you all do me head in, and I love you all the same. <laughs> Probably just like the father. I don't know. You never do his head in. That's just me, because I'm human. But, but we have to really bond. Otherwise, this, it gets in the way, all this stuff. It stops us relating together, because we, we start to think we're not worthy. We go, oh, I can't, I can't. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I've, I've had this, that, and the other. No, it's a, it's a completely level playing field, this thing. And we have to bomb that out if we're actually going to kind of grow in a deeper relationship. It's not about gifting or roles or positions or anything else. We're equal before him. Just as he and the father are equal, but have different roles. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The message says this. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. In other words, his being equal with God was not a thing to be anxiously retained. He's not kind of desperately trying to remind, to, to feel like he's equal or something. And so when we're relating together, we've got to know that we have equal status with one another, but also not cling to it. That means we have to be okay with other people doing different roles and different things. Sometimes we have to be okay with other people leading us. Sometimes we have to be okay with leading other people. Sometimes that hat moves all the time. There are places where I know I am the one who is leading, I'm giving the direction, I'm giving the instruction. In other environments, I'm the one taking the instruction and taking the leading because I don't know the most. I don't know it all. So I need to learn and listen, don't I? It's fairly simple. But again, you... I'm not clinging to this equality. I'm not, I'm not thinking, well, I, I'm equal with you, so you can't tell me what to do. Well, if I've come to help you and you know more than me, I best listen and shut up and do it better. Do you know what I mean? It's fairly simple, really. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not clinging to this thing. Whatever is necessary for the good of the relationship, for the benefit and well-being of the wider body. And even in all our relationships, you know, you, there's always tons you can learn. It don't matter, you might be the one way, way in front with Jesus and somebody's only just coming to know Jesus, there is still tons of stuff they can teach you. What's most annoying is when those people tell you what you've told them for you. <laughs> it happened recently to me the other day, somebody went to me, Adam, I don't think you can do that. And whenever people say that, I, I, who, who I've kind of spent some time with, I'm going, they're going to throw something back in my face and they're going to be right and I don't like that. <laughs> And they did, they went, I remember you said that. And I was like, hmm, I do remember saying that. Thank you. <laughs> You're right. I think, I think they enjoyed it a bit too much for my liking, but no, it's fine. But, but you see, there's always this place. We're never always just leading. We're never always just mothering or fathering or always just being, we're always in this place of both all the time. All the time, there's stuff we can learn, stuff we can sort out. But, but you've got to be careful you don't cling to it. Because if you're not careful, you can, you can kind of walk in going, okay, I know what my role is in this situation. Uh, but then you miss out. You also look like a wally because people pick it up. And it's not helpful. But made himself of no reputation. The word literally means he emptied himself of all his heavenly privileges. So, of course, in heaven, he had a pretty good reputation. And he had all power and glory and majesty, all of it. 
And according to these words, he literally emptied himself of it all and became a man. In other words, his heavenly reputation, all the, everything he could do, everything he was, his glory, just gave it all up. He went, no, it's fine. I'm just going to go and be a carpenter's boy in some town in Galilee somewhere. Wander around Nazareth for a little bit. <coughs> How bothered are you about your reputation? How important is it to you what other people think? Jesus made himself of no reputation, and he had a much better one than you would start with. Not that yours is necessarily bad, he just had a better one. But he gave it all up. When we are concerned about what other people think, we can't build a relationship because we're not being true to ourselves. When your primary thought is, what does this person think about me? You are not being true to you because you are trying to keep a facade of what you think they want you to be like. Which is, therefore, you are not being true to yourself. Therefore, you can't have a relationship. But you can't have a depth of relationship anyway. We can only build real a relationship when we start to be real with one another. Which is why discipleship, vulnerability and honesty are so important. And of course, if you live in a relationship, there may be times when you act in ways that don't do your earthly reputation any good. But heaven cheers. The question, of course, is which is most important? Are you bothered about your reputation on the earth or your reputation in heaven? Which is most vile to build? Which are you more concerned about? Verse 7 says, taking the form of a bondservant. Not only did he leave all his heavenly privileges behind, he also chose to take the form of a servant. But a bondservant was a servant who had the right to go free, but chose to stay with his master, disregarding his own interests. The truth is the only way to experience deep relationship is to know what it is to serve one another. And serving one another is as much about being willing to be served as it is about serving. So some of us are very good at serving other people, but we're not very good at letting other people serve us. I got brought up in a household where hard work and serving were just normal. Like, you just, that's how you lived. You just kind of, yeah, you just worked hard and you served everybody. And that's, that was just, that, that was the culture of my family life growing up. You know, we'd, we'd go everywhere, do all sorts of stuff. And even now I eat, I eat quickly, because as a kid I'd be eating quickly all the time because we were going out somewhere to set up for something to do something and all that sort of stuff. It's like... It's a bad habit I've still not managed to crack. But it comes from this place of, of, of just always serving everybody else. So I don't, it's like it's built in me to just serve. It's not difficult. I don't, I don't mind it. But it took me a long time to let other people serve me because of my independent spirit and my sometimes held thought that I had to be Superman. But allowing people to serve you can sometimes be harder than being served. Okay, some people find it very easy to just sit there and let you lap it on while well, they need to learn to serve. But, but we've, we've got to learn both ways. Because again, relationships got to be two ways. And that's going to look different. And that's the fascinating thing. Because very often, or certainly our world wants equality outwardly. So it's got to look the same on the outside. So that means, so Faye loves me making her a cup of coffee on the morning. So that's one of the ways I serve her, is I make her a cup of coffee every morning. She really loves it. But I don't go, well, now I've made you a cup of coffee, you have to make me a cup of coffee. Because I don't want a cup of coffee in the morning. I don't like coffee in the morning. And I'd be like, what are you wasting time doing that for? 
Like, you just don't bother me. So she serves me in other ways. But we have to think of that in all our relationships. The way we serve one another, we can't go, well, you did this for me, therefore I... No. What might it mean to serve you? Which may well look different. That's healthy. That's good. That's right. But we've got to have permission and not expect to be served in the ways that we are serving. Your harvest might look different from your seed. It will look different from your seed. But you don't get much of a harvest if you don't sow much seed. Then it says he humbled himself. So good this, isn't it? Eh? So wonderful. <laughs> I didn't used to think it was wonderful. I used to think it was flipping annoying. True humility is knowing and being known. True humility is knowing and being known. Of course, most people are deeply fearful of being known because they fear they will not be accepted. <coughs> For many times we say to ourselves, but if these people really knew me, that's the thought that goes through many people's head, if they really knew me. I can't share this because of this, I can't do this because of that, I can't share this because of the other. And most people in the world live in this place of how much dare I share so this still might be my friend. That's the place most people live. How much can I actually share that I don't lose them? Which, of course, is driven by fear. And it's totally understandable because many people have shared and have lost friends because of it or been hurt because of it. But nothing driven by fear achieves anything in the kingdom of God. Nothing driven by fear achieves anything in the kingdom of God because the kingdom does not know fear. Jesus does not know fear. And again, it's only as we share with one another and allow a measure of vulnerability to come in that we start to enter the intimacy and vulnerability of true relationship. And the truth is the depth of relationship you have is directly correlated to the depth with which you share it. It is just directly correlated to that level. So if in your relationships you never really share what's on your heart, by definition that relationship can't go very deep because you've not shared anything very deep. And of course, that's difficult and painful and all the rest. And as we'll get onto it, there is a cost to live in that place. But the reality is your relationships will only go as deep as the depth of your sharing. So I have some very deep, wonderful relationships, but that's because those people know literally everything there is to know about me. So I get the reward of those relationships. But the cost of that, which is verse 8, and became obedient to death. You see, lots of people want to experience great relationships. They want to feel like they're part of a relationship, but the reality is it costs. And of course, lots of people as well look back and go, well, I tried it, and I've been hurt deeply. Yeah, well, that's part of the cost. Is it right? No. But that's why, but most people have never been taught this stuff. And it's definitely not been modelled to them. There's one thing, there's one thing, knowing all this stuff and living in this kind of place and being taught this stuff for four or five years and then hurting a load of people. And then there's another thing where you were never taught it and hurting people. They are two different things. If nobody taught it and modelled to you, how can you learn it? 
So we've got to have a bit more grace for those people, and I know it's hard because they've hurt you, we've got to have a bit more grace for those people who didn't really have a choice because they didn't know. They were never modelled what it was to love in that way. Nobody loved them in that way. What I'm realising more and more is, there's an old adage, hurt people hurt people. And it's true. Because, but, but the, the, what happens as you go on and you learn more of Jesus' compassion is instead of being frustrated with those people, your heart goes out to them because you realise what those hurt people who are hurting people need is somebody who'll actually love them and, and cope with that hurt. Because when you start loving hurt people, they just keep hurting you because they don't know any other way. And what most people do is at that moment is give up. But that's the point you've got to keep going. That's the point you've got to keep going. Which is why you can't just do it on your own. Because if you're trying to do that on your own, you've only got so much capacity, eventually that capacity runs out, and then it breaks down. Which is why you've got to have a whole community of people who are learning to love like that, because when you learn to love like that in that community, in that place, you can go, okay, my capacity's reached now, but now so-and-so's going to step into the breach. It's the only way. I don't have the capacity on my own to love the people that I do. I just don't. Even with all his love that's, that's, that's in me and through me. There's times when I need other people as well. And go, okay, I'm, I'm maxed out now. I need to go just fill up a little bit. But I know these people need looking after. So I can go, okay, well, da-da, 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 da-da. But I, I want you to just... The issue is not whether we want relationship. Don't tell yourself you don't want a relationship. It's untrue. You were built for it. What you mean is, I've been so hurt, I don't know whether I want to do it again. Okay, well, that's fine, but it's, it's, that's a different thing. It's a different thing. You are built for it. Everything in you cries out to it. And even now, in every single one of you, part of you is going, yes, I want that. And another part of you is going, but if I want it, that means some things. Yes, it does. I mean, phones, something's happened, Josh. Can you put the next slide up? Because we ask these questions. How, how vulnerable dare I be? Dare I trust again when I've been hurt so many times? Are true, deep relationships even possible? Is it possible to know and be known and by like multiple people? Can I cope with the potential for being hurt again? They're all questions everybody asks. And they're very valid, true questions. Worthwhile questions, real genuine questions. And, and we've got to be honest, who wants to go through all that again? Who, who in the right mind actually wants to go through all that again? Nobody does. Unless there's a reward at the end of it. Because, in, you know, and I, perhaps it would be easier to simply not bother. I understand that. I do. I've been there. Perhaps not to the depths some of you have, but I'm, in, I'm also in relationship with enough people who have been there to know the reality of it. And I've seen some very brave people, very brave people, choose relationship. I've seen those who have been hurt deeply on many levels by other human beings, time and time again, rise up and be brave enough to walk in relationship. And of course, it doesn't happen all at once. You don't do it all in one go. But actually, you were built to relate. You were built to be together. You were built to experience a depth of friendship and love. You were built 
to know that you are secure, to know that you are significant, to know that you are worth something. You are built for all those things. And this world in general has done a pretty rubbish job of doing that. And to be honest, sadly, much of the church has done a pretty rubbish job of doing that as well. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not right. It doesn't mean it's not out there. And I refuse to allow the past and culture to set the bar for what's right. Surely we shouldn't be doing that. Surely this book sets the bar for what's right and Jesus sets the bar for what's right. And what's right is something bigger and greater and just more wonderful. And I realise, I realise that those questions are very, very real. And I realise they're questions that many of us ask. And, And we keep asking them. It's not like you ask them once, you keep on asking them. Because you have to keep going to those places I've been more vulnerable and more open. And you stare at this place and you, you share what you think is like this huge bombshell that's going to explode and cause ripples everywhere and destroy everybody. And then you realise they didn't. And you go, well, I don't understand it. What happened? Normally when, when I... And then you realise you've got 70 or 80 of these bombs in your life. That you, that you eventually want to share about. But what happens is each time, and of course, you don't, you don't start with the one at the bottom of the pile. You don't start with the one at the You start with the ones at the top. And you build, and you grow, and you learn, and you start to trust. I realize, I realize that for some people, it, it sounds too good to be true. And we automatically go, if it sounds too good to be true, it's not true. But I can tell you not just from the Bible, but from my own life and other people's lives, that it is true. And it is possible. And it is for you. And because not only do I teach it, but I've also seen it modelled and hopefully to some degree model it, then that makes it easier for you. And not only that, but it's not just that Paul modelled it to, to, to me and then I tried to model it, but actually there's now, there's now many, many people are on this journey of learning what it means to walk together. I mean, it's a special thing, you know, when you can say that I've walked with some people now in this house for 15 years. That's a special thing. Isn't it? Some of you have have been here for, we've been together for 15 years now. And we're still together. (laughs) Please don't send me a letter tomorrow. (laughs) No, but it's special. And some of you have walked with Paul for another five years on top of that. Maybe more, seven years. Still together. And yet many of you are very different. Totally different backgrounds. Totally different ways of seeing the world. Totally different ways of understanding the world. Completely different. But you see, one of the things that I love now is that it's not just words on a page. It's now like evidenced. So now when, when people come and talk to me and go, well, I, I go, okay, well, go talk to so-and-so, go talk to so-and-so, go talk to so-and-so. And I can reel off all, all these people. And I say, go ask them about it. Don't, don't take my word for it. Go ask somebody else about it. 
What was their experience? What did they find out? Was it for them? Is what he says on that platform true on a Wednesday morning? Go and find out. Because you don't take my word for it. Don't take somebody else's word for it. If you're starting to walk with somebody, then, hey, you've been hurt before. Do some research. Be sensible. I'm not asking you to trust somebody without. Go and talk to somebody else. If you're starting to build a relationship, find somebody on our leash team and go, look, I'm, I'm just getting good friends with so-and-so. What, what, like, literally, be wise about it. Look after yourself, care for yourself. I'm not asking you to throw yourself in it when you think, don't do that, that's silly. Don't just trust without thinking about it. That's daft, especially if you've been hurt. But the beauty of this place is that we can go, okay, yeah, well, don't take my word for it, go and talk to them and them and them and them and them. See what they say. And again, Everybody in this house has got something to give. Because we're all equal, but we're all different. So everybody's got something to give. This walking in relationship with a trusted few who have learned our love because they have been loved has led a transformation. The same can be true of you. And healing. Much, much healing. The same can be true of you. But you will have to decide to be vulnerable. You will have to dare to trust again. You will have to decide that you're going to cope with the potential for being hurt again because every relationship carries that risk. And we're all human as well, so this is not without... We're all human. I've hurt everybody I've walked with because I'm human. Not because I wanted to, well, I tried to, but because out of my lack and out of my lack of sometimes knowledge or insight or sometimes just because I didn't know Jesus well enough, then of course, I've not, I've not managed it. And you won't manage it either. But that doesn't mean to say we don't walk together. Mm. What it means is when we do that, we come together <coughs> and we, we use it as an opportunity to learn more about one another. And of course, we say sorry and we walk together again because that's what it means to be in relationship. That's the reality of it. The only way that these, I'm still walking with these people who've been here from 15 years ago is because I've said sorry to all of them at one point or another, many of them many, many times. And they've said sorry to me many, many times. But we're learning how to love one another, more and more. But we're not there yet. There's still greater depths to go. I'm, I'm absolutely assured that there's greater depths to go. This walking in relationship with a trusted few have learned how to love because they have been loved has led to transformation and healing. The same can be true of you. Okay, shall we pray? <coughs> Father, I want to thank you for your example of Jesus. I want to thank you for the ways you relate together. And I want to thank you for everything you have taught us as a house thus far, Father. I want to thank you for every way it's been modelled, Father. Everyone who's modelled it, Father. And I want to thank you for everyone, everyone who's been here a while, Father, and, and has, has had to face those questions, Lord, and has had to be brave enough to carry on, Father. I want to thank you for that sense of family. I want to thank you for that sense of being together in relationship. And, Father, I am asking, Lord, and I'm believing, Father, that we are going deeper, Jesus. We have not hit the bomb of what it means to be together, Jesus. Nowhere near, Father. We are plumbing new depths of that, I am assured. And Father, for those who are, who are at the beginning of that journey, Father, or 
Um, didn't start that journey until fairly recently. Father, I pray that that peace that we prayed about earlier, Lord, they just settle in their hearts, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help our understanding, Father. I'm so aware, Lord, that when there's a group of people with so many different filters and so many different stories that filter out what's said, Father, I'm asking by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that which is of your Spirit, Lord, would you speak to us deeply? Lord, if there's anything, Father, that's not from you, Lord, please blow it away like the chaff, Father. But that which comes from your throne room, Father, would you, Holy Spirit, interpret into each of our lives individually, Father, that we might take some nugget of truth home with us today of your love for us and your desire to walk with us and us to walk together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah,